I'm coming to understand that as we discover the gift, in fact, I'm calling this particular part of the series Discovering and Exploring the Gift, because I realize that life itself, all of life, we live lives of discovery. We live lives of discovery. God, there are things that we find out about life as we continue to live it. And when we talk about the life in Christ, I'll be very honest with you, if it was just the stuff that we thought it was, it would be very boring. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it if all we had was this stuff that most people think is religion, and we could go no further than that. I'm telling you, it'd be boring to me. It would be such that I'd get tired of the routine, just doing the same thing the same way over and over again. But God has made it clear to me that this is a life of discovery. There are some things about the Lord that we are yet to tap into. There are new things that God desired to show us, new ideas, things that would otherwise would have never come to our minds. We wouldn't even think in that vein lest we had received from the Lord that which He is, in fact, imparting to us. So, so, so with that in mind, here's what, you know, we talk about insanity. Insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, but expecting different results. And I begin to think about that even as it relates to our relationship with the Lord, with our relationship with the Lord. And, and sometimes it's not doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Sometimes it could be waning activities. It could be diminishing activities where people begin to do less and less rather than more and more, but yet expecting God to do more and more. Do you hear what I'm saying? God, I want you to do all this for me, but this is, instead of offering you what I used to offer you, I offer you less than I used to offer you, but expecting God to do more. Uh, it, it's just hard for me. I, I was thinking about it sitting there. It's difficult for me to accept the trends, the current trends of our day, uh, especially during this time. There are many things that have occurred within this time of history that none of us had ever experienced before. And be honest with you, uh, many have adapted to the, the trends or the changes that have occurred. But I'm, at a, I'm of the persuasion that God is pressing us beyond where we used to be. He's taking us beyond the areas that we had settled for beforehand. That's where God is. And God is wanting us to tap into the resources that He has, in fact, made available to us in this Here's what happens. He sends us His Word, and when He sends us His Word, then more light begins to shine upon the subject. More light, illumination. He illuminates. Things are illuminated as He sends forth His Word. And, and here's what happens. When we receive His Word, it, it warms our hearts. Remember when Jesus was walking with uh, the, the, the people on the MS road, and what, what the, as Jesus began to explain to them 
what had really taken place based upon prophecy. And as they walked together, and as he began to show them that the things that happened happened for a reason, that they, he brought them into proper perspective. And when he did that, this what they, said. they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us or talked to us along the way? So, so, so illumination now, as we begin to think about illumination, when God brings light into his word, it, it warms our heart. It, it, it warms our heart. Our hearts are warmed by that which God has to speak to us. Now, now, now mind you, a lot of times when we talk about illumination, uh, it, we talk about spiritual insight. God gives us spiritual insight. We begin to look into the Word of God. We begin to discover that contained within God's Word is the blueprint of life. Everything that we need, everything that we could ever want pertaining to life and godliness, God makes it available to us because He's giving us a roadmap for life, a blueprint for living life. And some people have a tendency of thinking when you begin to go delve into the depths of things of God or you deal with spiritual insight, they have a tendency of believing that that's intellect. And, and I want you to, I want to show you the difference between intellect and spiritual insight. Intellect, uh, uh, intellect, uh, intellect alone can be very impressive. You, you see, intellect, when you begin to just measure intellect, I'm going to show you how much I know. I'm going to show you how much I have, how, much, how many concepts I have grasped hold of. And that can be very impressive to people. People say, look at you and say, man, he's a smart guy. But spiritual insight is something much different. Spiritual insight, understand it takes, it, it takes a, a, a greater degree of discipline in order to, engage, to, to gain spiritual insight, but it's not just mere intellect. When you get into spiritual insight, you begin to delve into the Word of the Lord, and you begin to discover those truths that are contained within it. Then what happens, now you begin, hearts begin to burn. Hearts begin to burn. There, there is an impartation that takes place when people hear God speak. When God's Word is going forth, He is imparting His truth into us. And if your hearts are open, guess what will happen? As your hearts are open, then those, that truth that is being imparted will cause your hearts to begin to burn. There's a burning passion within you. You say, Lord, since you love me this much, how much more should I, ought I to do for you? How much more ought I to serve you? You see, you see the difference? And, and, and I would say that when you uh, do not engage in spiritual insights and, and, and all you deal with, with shallowness, shallowness means you just take the same information over and over again and all you're dealing with is what people think they already know and you begin to just go around the mountain time and time again, I would say if, if, that's, just, if that's all you're getting, then the person, you, you see, the shallowness and stupidity are synonymous. That's stupidity. That you, uh, when I talk about stupidity, that's the person that doesn't want to know anymore. God has made available to him or her all these spiritual insights, all of this information has been made, made available, but you won't even eat it. You won't even take hold of it. You won't even ingest what God has, in fact, made available. So, so, so I, I, I trust that, you see, I like what Paul would say, I would that you not be ignorant. I would that you not be stupid. I would that you not close your hearts and minds 
to the truths that God is making known to us today. So we talk about this whole thing of adventure, uh, adventure exploration, exploring, venturing into new territories. There are some things that God is yet to show us. There are some things He wants to show us. Uh, uh, that, let me ask you something. Isn't that what worship is all about? Isn't that worship? That's worship. What is worship? What is worship? What did I say worship was? Man's active response, what? To God's revelation of himself, whereby we declare his worth. Now, listen to what we're saying here. Let's take our time and let's really analyze it for a moment. I know we've gone over it many, many times, but it is an active response to the divine revelation that God has made known to us at this very moment. It is actively responding to what God has made known to us today. This hour, this Christmas season, what has God made, what has God made known to you today? Now, if God has made known to you today, what would be your response to that which God has made known to you today? What would be your response to it? Now, if you say, well, I just engage in church activity or I do my routine or I refuse to do anything, what is that? But yet I expect God to do everything. That's insanity. That's insanity. It is saying, Lord, I, I, I place the onus upon you to, to, to do everything, but I don't have any responsibility to do anything, yet I'm warning you to show me more of yourself. But the more God shows of, us of himself, the more he obligates us to respond to that which he's shown us. So now, look at our worship. Our worship is continuum, continuous. And we're growing in grace, knowledge of the Lord, and we are increasing our activities. We are getting more involved more engaged in the things of God than we would otherwise be engaged. Are you seeing something here? And I can't accept the trend today is to just adjust to the climate of our day. You see, if the temperature of our culture is set at a particular climate, then the church must adapt to that. I said, no, I'd refuse. I may turn people off by not adapting to it, but I just can't do it. I can't in my conscience. Well, let me do it. I can't have a good conscience before the Lord and say, instead of, instead of requiring or at least preaching what I'm preaching to you now and, and, and being adamant about it rather than saying, well, this is just the way it is, so therefore let's adapt to it, I would feel that I wasn't being true to God. I would feel as if I let God down if I did otherwise. <clears throat> now, let's look at worship for a moment. What are we talking about? We're talking about worship. Worship is dealing with ultimate reality. Worship is dealing with ultimate reality. You can't get any further than God. You can't go any further than that. We're talking about ultimate reality. <clears throat> when you say God, you said it all. God. Just think about it. God, the sovereign ruler, the creator of all things. God, who are you, Lord? was a question that Saul of Tarsus asked. 
when you say God, God. You, I think we talk about using his name in vain. It's when we say God and don't mean God. We say God, we're talking about the ultimate. We're talking about the sovereign ruler of the universe. And, and not only that, that's talking about his greatness. But then we also have to look at it this way. We've got to look at the fact that it talks about his eternal existence. His eternal existence. He was before creation, and he will be after everything is past and gone. So that's God. So we see the vastness of God, and we, see, and, and we also see the majesty of God. And yet we ought to worship God. Anything less than that is an idol. Anything less than that is an idol. So now, understand, I know the writers and many of those that talk about the, the lesser gods, that which fall under uh, the, 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 the sovereign God. But understand, we talk about ultimate reality, then you're speaking of God. This is what the Scripture says here in James chapter 1 and verse 23. He says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. You see yourself in the mirror of the word. You're listening to the word. But yet, your objective is not to obey it. You look in the mirror, and then when you walk away from it, you forget what you look like. Now, I'm making a point here. I'm going to make a point in this after a while. He said, but if you look carefully, I like the way he puts it, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So he is really saying here, looking into the Word as one would look into the mirror, and when you look into the Word as looking into the mirror, you will discover the uniqueness of God. That uniqueness of God that God is unique, God is different, God is other than. But here's another part. He says, looking into the mirror, as it were, and you glance at your face in the mirror. I like the way he puts it there. You glance at your face in a mirror. <clears throat> he says, not only will you see God differently, and you see his uniqueness, but guess what else you're going to see? You're going to see yourself. You're going to see yourself. You see yourself also. You look into the Word, you, but here's something else you see. You see the uniqueness of self. You see, now look at what you're saying now. You see the uniqueness of God, but at the same time, you see the uniqueness of yourself. That you're not just here by coincidence. You're just here by accident, but there's a purpose for your life. There's something that God desires to do within you as well, you see. Now, what happens, we talk about forgetting, what is a sinner then? A sinner is a person who does not really know who he or she is. A sinner is a person that really doesn't know who he or she is. So, but now there's a great number of Christians today 
who really don't know who they are. And now, now, now it has, a, it has a, uh, an effect upon behavior. It has an effect upon everything else that we do. <clears throat> because the enemy, would, first of all, he doesn't want you to know God. We talk about the uniqueness of God, the greatness of God, the vastness of God, the eternality of God, and all there is to know about God. But then he doesn't, at the same time, doesn't want you to know who you are. <clears throat> so what is he doing? He's blinding you from knowing God because if he can get you focus, get your focus or attention away from God, then you become insignificant. <clears throat> You become insignificant. Then your value is diminished because you didn't see God the way God really is. I hope you're hearing me here. In, in, in fact, this is his objective. The Bible speaks of it here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, having their understanding darkened. And he says, and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, not just the ignorance around them, but the ignorance that's in them because, now, now listen, look, look at the bill. First of all, they are alienated, they're, the darkness of their understanding, they're being alienated from the life of God, so therefore their interest is not directed towards knowing Him, but they're directing, they're directing their attention towards knowing things or maybe increasing their intellect or trying to gain knowledge of self, whatever that might be. That's where they may be. He said because they were, uh, because of the ignorance that is in them, it is in them to do that. The nature, the fallen nature of humanity, the fallen nature of mankind has, us, has man at a place. You see, what happens, it, it, it's not just the fact that they don't know him, but they cannot know him because their heart is not directed towards knowing him. He said the blindness of their heart who being past feeling, and, and here's what happened, past feeling, so now what do they feel? Their past sensitive, the warmth of the heart, the thing that caused a stirring to occur within them when they hear the message of truth, how the Word of God ought to, the fire of God's Word ought to, ought, ought to cause a warmth to occur within the heart. But that warmth not, is, is not happening. Why? Because they're past feeling the warmth. They said, I can't feel. Now, now, now there's a disease that, that I think of that is similar to that. It's called leprosy. And, and when, a, when a leper, <coughs> the reason they put a leper colony is because they've lost sensitivity. They've lost their feeling. And, and, and what happens, it is not just the wound or the pain that, that they're enduring, but understand, it is the lack of pain. It is a lack of pain there. So when they run into something, let's say a leper could walk into a, a, a stone and bump his foot against the stone and so severely that it could cause harm or damage to his foot, but he doesn't feel it. He could, uh, something could happen to his arm. It didn't matter because he doesn't feel it. So when we understand, when we lose spiritual sensitivity, we be, that's called spiritual leprosy. When you can no longer feel the warmth of the Word of God, it's called spiritual leprosy. And, and, and understand, and then what has happened, we begin to find 
people are now being, I would say, abandoned or they're being grouped together in leper colonies. He says, so I don't feel anything, you don't feel anything, so we have that in common. <clears throat> so now you have a gang, a gang of lepers. He says, so what is your objective? He said, well, well he, he's not my mama, he's not my, my uh, sister brother, he's not my daddy, so therefore I can shoot him. And he said, now what did you feel? We can, have a, we can laugh about it. Look at how many people we killed. Look at what we've done. Now we see the, extent, we see the extremes of that. But let's look at it even when it uh, applied to those that think that they're sensitive. When you lose your spiritual sensitivity, the things of God doesn't mean much to you. You're in the same category, even though it might not have gone to that extent. To that extent. But that's the same family. It's when you lose your spiritual sensitivity, you have, you, you, you have adjusted or adapted to the same uh, kind of ideology that the person that you see on the street it, it has adapted to. And you say, well, uh, who will God use in order to provide a cure for all of the ma maladies that's taking place within society? He can't call upon those who become leprous or spiritual lepers, he can only rely upon those who are spiritually sensitive. So when the Holy Spirit prompts the heart, that you feel it. That you see, he was moved with compassion. And the first area of compassion must be towards him, that, Lord, I, your word moves me. The things that you say has an effect upon my life. Are you hearing me now? So he says, so now we look at what happens. Their blindness of their heart, their past feelings, they cannot feel anything any longer. <clears throat> he says, so, so, so now having, now, now he says, now that they get to that place, now they're given themselves over to lewdness, <clears throat> to the work of all uncleanliness with greediness. Now listen very carefully to this. He said, now... They are obsessed with uncleanliness. Things that are, they, their discernment is gone. They cannot tell the difference between the clean and the unclean. And, and then everything that they're engaged in is self-serving. What can I get out of it? How, I, I came to get my blessing. I came to get what I, I, you see, I didn't get anything out of it. It ain't about you. I didn't get anything out of it. I went to church, and, 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 and it didn't bless me. It didn't minister to me. What well, ain't about you. Yes, the blessings ought to come to you, but they're to go through you. And unless the heart is warmed by the Word of God, even though the blessings have been directed towards you, you can't receive them. Because what happens, you think past that which God desires to feed you with. You see, you're looking past what God is trying to feed you, and, and you're saying, well, I want to get all the way to the, I want to get all to what I consider the blessings to be. And God has said, the blessing is in hearing the Word of God and having a heart and a passion and the desire to do it. You're already blessed. If you have a heart, you see, God, and then you're on the path of discovery. God's going to show you some things that you otherwise would not see. First of all, I'm delivering you. I'm getting you past you. And I'm going to show you who you are. And, and, and that's a scary thing when God begins to show us who we really are. That's what's happening even now. 
Don't think I'm just preaching to you. I'm talking to myself too. When he starts showing us who we are, when he begins to show me who I really am, then I become, I get to the place of realizing how needy I really am, how I need God. I need the grace of God. You see, some of y'all, some of y'all may feel that you, you know, he, he's okay. I can use him, but no, I need him. I need him because if God's grace was not upon my life, all that foolishness I was doing beforehand, I wouldn't just be doing that. I'd be more, I'd be doing more than I was doing because I had grown even, you see, you see, given over. I would have been given over to it. I would have been given over to it. So I hope you're hearing what I'm saying here. So, so now, <clears throat> look at the enemy. I, I want you to see. I want you to see the enemy. Won't expose the devil, but but I'm exposing him by revealing to you the truth. And the Bible talks about the gospel. The gospel. The importance of the gospel in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. He says, "But even if our gospel is veiled, if our gospel is veiled, who is it veiled? It is veiled to those who are perishing." It's veiled to those who are perishing. Now he begins to give a he begins to give definition to what he meant by saying it is veiled to those who are perishing. Because we talked about how beforehand the blindness of their heart, but now he takes it to another area. He talks about the blindness of their minds. He says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now listen to what he's saying here. He is saying that they fell in line with the trends. They fell in line with the culture. This is the, you see, it's like wetting your finger and you begin to feel the direction of the wind and you move in that particular direction. That's what has happened in many instances where people say, well, how do you do church? Let's find out where the people are, well, how the people are thinking, what are the people doing, and how can we engage in the activities that the people are engaged in. How can we follow the crowd rather than being a leader? I don't care how much you call yourself a leader, you're still a follower because you're being dictated by the God of this age, the God of this world system. I hope you hear what I'm saying, and I hope you can apply this to situations that are occurring all around you today. The God of this age is giving, he's dictating policy, he's giving directives to people in the world, but he's also giving directives to people in the church. He's saying, well, this is what you ought to do. And if you're not spiritual, that would make more sense. The God of this age, blinding their hearts, now blinding their minds, it makes more sense than what I'm sharing with you today. Because they can't receive this, but they can receive that. What happens, you said, if it's not God who is the ultimate of truth, the ultimate truth, then it becomes an idol. They are idolaters, and they are engaged in idol worship. I don't care how much they say Jesus. I don't care how much they say God. All that language, all that lingo means absolutely nothing. They're perishing because their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, who do not believe, less, unless the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
Now we talk about the Word, looking into the mirror, asking the Word, forgetting what kind of person you are, but the listening to the Word and being changed or being transformed into the very image and to the likeness of God. So the objective is for us to become as Christ is because Jesus Christ's coming was to display before us what a perfect man looks like. We had no reference to that beforehand. But he showed us what it really means to be a perfect man. You see, see, ill-equipped to find the right answers to the deepest questions of the heart because you don't know what kind of questions to ask. And, 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 and we t- when they turn to idols, they've lost themselves. And that leads to obsessive behavior. I was watching, years ago, I was watching this cartoon. It was Tom and Jerry. How many remember Tom and Jerry? They got different kind of cartoons today, but Tom and Jerry... Uh, that, that, was a, that was a fella, a little duck. They called him Yakety Doodle Duck. You remember, some of you remember him? Yakety Doodle Duck. Yakety Doodle Duck uh, came out the egg. The egg was, you see, first of all, he's, he, he's in the egg and it's time for him to be hatched and he fought himself out of the egg. When he came out the egg, he's trying to figure out who he is and where he is, whatever. And then the first thing he sees is, is, is a turtle. He sees a turtle. And, and, and since he has no reference other than the egg, he says, Mama. He said, uh, you, you, You're Mama. You're my Mama. He said, Are you my Mama? And then the turtle kicked him off scene, and then he went along a little further and saw a cat. He asked the cat, are you my mama? Cat meowed, pushed him. No, different nature. Dog just went on and on. Every animal that was possible, he began to ask the question, are you my mama? Are you my mama? And then later on, Yakadoodle Duck finally was introduced to a duck. When he was introduced to a duck, he saw that the duck waddled, even though he didn't know what it meant to waddle, because he had never seen anybody waddle before. So when he saw the duck waddle, he saw that waddling was in him. Then he went on. The duck began to quack. He had never quacked before. But then he realized that since he was a duck, that quacking was in him. And as he continued to grow on, the duck began to fly, took on wings and began to fly. What happened? He looked at himself. He said, you know what? I got some wings too. So he began to fly himself. He found himself in finding his source. He found himself in finding his source. He asked the question, are you my mama? And in our day, people are looking for their parent. Who's my daddy? 
Who's my daddy? Well, maybe science can answer that question. Maybe we can do a genealogical study and answer that question. People are trying to find out who they are. Then Jesus Christ comes on the scene. The perfect man. The one who was brought forth from the original. From the origin of all creation. He began to demonstrate to humanity what humanity ought to look like. What we ought to become. What we ought to develop into becoming. And when we really see Jesus, we see ourselves, not as we currently are, but what we are in fact developing into becoming. God says, I'm going to show you your potential. I'm going to show you why you're alive. I'm going to show you why I made you. He said, because what I did, what you see in Christ, I place within you. But the only way for you to get it now, when you receive Christ, this is man's uh, original intent. But understand, when we lost that, he says, I'm going to show you what my intent was. But then I'm going to show you what my intent is by giving you, by showing you Christ. Now the question is, when I looked at uh, Yaki Doodle Duck, we asked the question, are you my friend? Are you my enemy? Listen to that. Are you my friend? People are identified through their friends. They identify through their enemies. And then the question, do I really matter? But the question is, do I really matter to you? I talked to some of my white brothers, and they said, Black Lives Matter. I said, the question, I said, look, brothers, I said, don't read it based upon how you're reading it. Because you're going to start defending yourself and say, are you saying only black lives matter? I say, you ain't listening. You're not listening to the question. The question, do I matter to you? Do I matter to you? And, and understand what happens. But don't define, I don't want your identity to be defined by what matters to others. Because the question is, do you matter to God? Do I matter to God? Because if I matter, the question would be, do I matter at all? That's why suicide is on such a high uh, rate now, because people don't feel that they matter, that they matter at all. And you know what happens? What is lacking, we talk about the mother, we talk about the father, we talk about the connections that take about, is really... I, th I think they had this thing called love connection. That's where it really is. It is a love connection. How are you connected love-wise? What is your love connection? What did God say? God so loved. Wait a minute. That's where love started. God so loved. God so loved. God so loved. God is Love. God is love. God is identified by love, and God expresses that by which he is identified. God is love. God is expressed. He expresses himself by that which he identified. He says, so therefore God so loved the unlovely, the world, 
that had rebelled, the world that had turned is back upon God. God so loved the world that he gave the object of his affection to those who despised him. He loved us so much that he gave the object of his affection to those who despised him a world that was in rebellion. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. He didn't wait until you finally came to the realization and resolve that you ought to love God. He says, I love you first. I love that I gave, this is what Christmas, he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe on my son who was given on Christmas was given as a gift. If you believe in him, you would not perish because, in other words, you were perishing. The Bible talks about that. Those that do not, those that, that, that are perishing, whose God's, whose mind, the God of the ages have blinded because they are perishing. He said, but you would not perish. But instead of perishing, I will give you eternal life. I will give you eternal life. It's fine. Now, now, you don't understand that because you, you've heard it so many times. You, you know, sometimes you can become, something becomes so redundant that you really don't learn it. But to really learn this, he says, I've given you the gift of eternal life. I've given you the gift. He said, I mentioned the other week about time, the little stretch of time is just a little blip. But in light of eternity, which has no end, he says, I've given you eternal life. And all you have just give me this little blip. Give me this little life that you're trying to manage. And what I'll do, if you give me this little life you're trying to manage, then what I'll do, I will live that little bit through you so you can receive all of that. He said, but I'm going to show you how much I love you. You don't know what love is. So therefore, here you are investing your time and energy in the things that you love because your love is restricted or limited to this little space within time. And God is saying, there's so much more that I desire to give you. The barriers to discovering the meaning of life Living up, we have to live up to the measure of grace extended to you. Because without it, you're wasting your potential. God so loved you. Let's deal with it personally. God so loved you that he has graced you to have the potential to become as Christ is. Now, isn't that something to think about? God so loved you that he has placed within you the potential to become as Christ is. That's a whole lot of love. He said, well, what are you doing? He said, not based upon how you currently are, but based upon what he, who he is, and how he sees you. He said, if you let me have it, he says, I will develop you into becoming like my son. So now we're living up to the 
measure of grace extended to you, and anything less than that is wasted potential. You're wasting your potential. God says, I, I made you for more than this. And then if your passions are directed towards other things, it's called misdirected passions. See, you now have invested your feelings into stuff that's wasted. And it leads, we mentioned, that it leads to, uh, I call it having a suicidal attitude even before you kill yourself. A Christless existence leaves one with nothing to rely upon and nothing to draw from because he is then relying upon his fallen nature. And the Bible says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, and that's even in Christ, but if we have hope in this life, but even if in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable, most miserable. So he says, so you can't draw anything from your fallen nature. It has to go beyond that. So, so I call it restricted hope leading to disappointments. Believe, but what is attached, but we talk about believing, then what's attached to the other end of believing? I believe, I believe, what? That's faith in faith. What do you really believe in? Believe in science? You believe in the government? Do you believe in the government? Do you believe science? Do you believe in other people? You believe what people tell you? Who can you trust? Who can you rely upon in this particular day? I would say anything less than that is worthless pursuits. You're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels. The Bible talks about that in, in, in the ESV, the, uh, uh, the translation. It says, Proverbs 28 and 19 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. He who follows worthless pursuits, I like the way put it, worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Worthless pursuits. I brought this up because there are so many things that are worthless that people are engaged in, worthless pursuits. Paul had to come to that realization. You know, when Paul finally got to the place when he had the encounter, you know the story. Light shining from heaven, knocking off this beast. He thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting the church. Eventually, Jesus appears to him, and when Jesus appeared, shining light, shining, he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now I'm ready to change courses. I'm ready to move in a different direction. I'm almost done now. But then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, this is his, his uh, conclusion. He says, but what things were gained to me, what things were valuable to me, the things that used to matter no longer matter. These things now I count as loss. I count as worthless. I count them as worthless. Why? Because my objective now is to come to that place of attaining the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. When he talks about attaining to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, he is saying that that which I've known of Christ, I want to explore into those areas of Christ that I had not explored into as of yet. There are some things about Jesus, there are some things about Christ that I've not tapped into as of yet. But my desire is to know those things. And then as I discover those things, as I discover those things, I ask God, I say, Lord, now that you've shown me 
now, Lord. Thank you for the grace so that I can walk in it. Thank you for the grace. And, and, and what God does it, within time, and we think we're ready. We think we're ready to walk in it, and sometimes we're not as ready as we thought. You say, God, you've shown me this. And, and, and here's the thing that I would say baffled me sometimes, and God is still working in me, is when God makes known to me his power, his majesty, the things that he's capable of doing. And then it doesn't happen the way I would expect for them to happen. How do you deal with what we consider to be disappointments with God? God says, what I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you an aspect of my love that you wouldn't even be able to see otherwise unless the thing that you expected didn't happen. Do you trust me when things don't happen the way you would like for them to happen? Do you st will you still love me? Is your love for me predicated upon me doing what you want me to do? And what you want me to, how you want me to act, how you want me to behave? And I'll be honest with you, because of, you say, I got two natures now. I got the nature of Christ within me, but that old man that I must put away, try to rise up. I say, yes, Lord, I, I, I think if you really love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. He said, that is what I said in my word. <laughs> he says, not, I'll do what you want me to do, but you do what I tell you to do, and trust me, and then ultimately I'll show you, you. And when I show you, you, what I'll do, I will turn your heart in a direction whereby there's an alignment that will occur. I think I was reading something by Smith Wigglesworth, and he talked about the place he had reached. I'm not there yet. I pray God could get me there. He said he was such a man that was so turned on to God. They said he walked in expensive hats. He loved to wear those expensive hats. He said the wind blew his hat into the water. He just walks right along. Praise God. <laughs> He said he lived a carefree life. It, it, it was almost like uh, detached from what was happening around him. You heard the story about when the devil showed up, it startled what happened. He had a startling in his home, woke him up. He jumped up, and he looked at the door. He said, oh, it's just you. He shut the door and went on back to bed. But, but there's a place in God. There's a place in God that God can give you and me such confidence that whatever comes, whatever goes, it would not shake our faith. It would not shake our faith. It will bring us to the place that said, well, apparently God has something on the other side of this challenge. Always looking forward to what God has in store. Whatever situation or circumstance you may find yourself in, your focus will always be upon what God is yet to reveal based upon what He is currently doing. You're working through this thing. I don't see it, but you're God, and I'm not.
you're working something out. You're doing something that's grand and glorious. Be honest with you, Lord, I don't see it. Because in the natural, look like everything is falling apart. But you're God. You're God. And that confidence that we have in him will stabilize us. And you know what? And as he stabilizes us and settles us, establishes us in that area, we're being positioned to put on display his glory. People will begin to see Christ in you. I, I was saying this because, you know, I, I, I trust God. I, I carry burdens. I carry burdens. But I don't carry burdens alone. I carry your burdens. I carry your burdens. You, you follow what I'm saying? Things that happen in your lives bother me. They disturb me. I, I just, you know, some people say it, it does bother. It, I guess it's supposed to. I guess it's supposed to because I wondered too. He said, why does it hurt you? Why does it, yeah, it does hurt me. And, and then I thought, I said, well, maybe it's supposed to be this way because I see that we have a, not a high priest who could not be, could not sympathize with our infirmities, but in every part was tempted, but yet without sin. So, yes, to carry the burden of others is not something that's beyond what God requires or expects of us. But at the same time, we're carrying it. Uh, understand what happens. I have to take that before the Lord and ask Him questions. I said, well, Lord, I got to tell these people something. I said, they just went through a traumatic experience. Don't think I'm trying to hide from it. I'm not trying to run away from you because I might have to take a few moments to think and pray. It's not running away, but I'm asking God. I said, Lord, I got to bring an answer. I got to give these people an answer. And I, I just can't say, oh, just talk it up. It's just the Lord's will. This is just something God does. No, I got to bring answers. I got to hear from God. I have to hear from heaven. So when I speak something into your lives, you've heard from God, and you are, you are aware of his presence being with you. Because, you see, look into the mirror. Don't forget the person that you are, but don't forget the person that he is. So when you give that answer, most of the times it'll come out at times like this. I said, Lord, what should I preach? Lord said, well, what I want you to preach, you stand there, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to preach to you. But when I preach to you, all of those people that can identify what you're saying, you're preaching to them as well. So as God, your discovery, that's what I want to say, discovery, as we discover him together, as we explore those areas together, God begins to reveal more and more and more of himself to us. And what happens, that's what worship is all about. So now when we worship God, we're worshiping him not just in spirit that's detached from reality, but we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So, Father, we thank you so much that you're helping us to see things that we in of ourselves would not understand. And when I've searched the Scriptures, Lord, there are things that I see and been baffled by many of the things that I read. 
but I know they're true because you said it. That's the confidence that I have attained over the years, that if you said it, it's true. And I'm being convinced all the more of that truth that says, let you be true in every man a liar. But thank you, Lord, that you're answering questions now. You're bringing us to a new place. But yet, Lord, you're challenging us not to settle. I pray for every individual that has committed spiritual suicide, those that have died inside of themselves because they've lost hope, those, Lord, who have abandoned the faith even though they're still going through the motions. My prayer, Lord, is that your word will ignite a new fire within their hearts. They will come alive again. Resurrect them from their state of deadness so that they can experience this life in Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're showing us. Thank you, Lord, that we are a people whose sights set on eternity, and we are preparing to spend eternity with you forever. So thank you for your servants. Thank you for those that are being transformed. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will always be open to you, that we might receive all that you're dispensing to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.